Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. In this podcast, we'll be having discussions around the secrets which attract lasting, healthy, fulfilling relationships, creating a healthy mindset, and what women should know and understand about men. Introducing your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts, relationship expert, trainer, speaker, and best-selling author of The Cupid's Bow Technique. Lynn's mission is to have a positive impact in reducing divorce, domestic violence, and suicide. Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. This is your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts. And today, listeners, I've got the really exciting news around getting Perry Power onto my podcast. He's a lovely young man. And Perry is an actor, scriptwriter, and author, but he is literally hot off the press from releasing a new book called Breaking the Silence, which is around his own particular story, Well, which I'll get him to tell you about. So, Perry, welcome to the podcast. Oh, Lynn, thank you for having me on. Thank you for giving me that warm, pleasant introduction. Uh, I'm, I'm super pumped to be here, so thank you. Well, Perry, um, we've both got harrowing stories relating to our backgrounds. And, you know, with my audience, I've shared, you know, how that has impacted my future relationships. But just for the benefit of those that don't actually know or have heard of you, just would you mind sharing your particular story? And um, then we'll get into a conversation how that has or hasn't impacted your relationships going forward. Sure, sure. So... In regards to sexual abuse, I was abused for about a year and a half from the age of 10. And this was by my step-granddad. And he would do it when I would go around to their house, so my step-granddad and my nan's house. And he would do it when there's people in the room. He would do it when there's nobody in the room. And it was actually an occasion where my stepmom was in the room, sitting opposite him, and I was on his lap. And he put his hand down my pants and it was my stepmom that saw it. And that's when the family put a lid on it. That's when I wasn't allowed to go around to the house again. I did about two years later, because that's when my step-granddad died. And I started to go back around and start seeing my nan again. Um, but then my dad told me to put a lid on it and to not speak about it. Don't, don't go tell your friends. Don't go tell family members. Don't go, you know, just don't speak about it. So then I, I didn't speak about it. And I lived in silence for what ended up being for 12 years. Now, the main catalyst in me breaking my silence to the world was because my dad had a sudden heart attack in 2017. He was 48 years old and he had a heart attack, which came, to be honest, I say out of the blue, but really it was prone to happen because three years prior to that, he became an alcoholic. And then the, the, the addiction to alcohol led to his blood pressure going sky high, which then led to him having diabetes and then five months later, he dropped dead. And that really was the, the straw that broke the camel's back for me to really share my story with the world. Because off the back end of that, I found out that me, uh, two other members of the family, as well as my dad, were victims of sexual abuse from the same man. And then it made sense why he became an alcoholic. It made sense why he asked me to put a lid on it because he was a victim too, living in silence because he didn't want to confront his story. So if I ever spoke about what happened to me, sexually, uh, sexual abuse wise, I was, he was a part of that story, right? Cause I was basically telling, uh, he was, I was making him confront his own story by me sharing my story. And that's why he, he asked him to be quiet about it. And, uh, and now I'm just doing everything possible to get my story out there. 
Wow. It's so brave of you, especially being a male, because isn't it true for the majority of men, you know, um, you know, it's far easier, I feel, for women to share this stuff because that's what we do. You know, the feminine energy is around, you know, communicating, uh, sharing our stories with our girlfriends. And, you know, that's how we release our, our emotions and deal with our emotions. Whereas men, you know, they're more in their heads and they're more solitary. They, they, they feel it's not, you know, um, I, I suppose for some of them, it, they can perceive it's a weak thing to, to share emotional stuff like this. So um, what gave you the strength or, or what was, the, you know, it, that for you made, made it possible for you to be able to do what you're doing? Yeah, you're right with that. You're very much right. Uh, there is there is a stigma. Men, men set upon themselves these expectations to live by. Uh, the expectation to be the breadwinner of the house. The expectation to be a rock around their family. Not show these emotions because they got to be the you know the pilot of the of the plane. Got to be the sailor of the ship. And that was my dad. My dad was a very man's man. He's a very man's man. And him crying which we hardly ever saw when he became an alcoholic we did see that he would cry all the time but but before that him him crying like it wouldn't happen so him talking about himself being sexually abused for a man like him is basically suicide it's basically what it is and i think what gave me the strength to really do it right to really sort of speak out there was I came to this realization that the consequences of living in silence far away the consequences of breaking the silence. My set granddad, he grew up in an orphanage in Cork in Ireland. And it's a very famous orphanage. Um, and the priests at this Catholic orphanage would chain the boys up. They would rape them. They would hit them, abuse them. And that's how him and his brother grew up in this orphanage. And he lived in silence, my step-granddad. He lived in silence. He never seeked help. He, he didn't admit it. And living in silence for him got to a point where he then inflicted the same pain onto others that was once inflicted onto him. And he became the abuser. So he, my dad being one of those people, and now my dad grew up in silence. He didn't inflict the pain onto others, but he inflicted the pain onto himself through alcohol abuse, through drug abuse. And... And I saw this trend. I was like, this is a generational cycle. If I don't heal my wounds, if I don't break my silence, what is there to say that I wouldn't end up like my step-granddad? You know, like my step-granddad, he, he didn't grow, he didn't come out of school like, right, I'm going to live my life as an abuser now. It happened over a period of time. So I was like, well, I don't want to grow up to be an abuser and I don't want to abuse others and I don't want to grow up to abuse myself. So the 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 purpose of breaking that generational cycle and the purpose of speaking out and cutting through these stigmas and these false expectations that men set upon themselves became a very personal journey for me, very personal purpose for me, because it has destroyed males um, figures in, in my life. And I didn't want it to be the same thing for me, let alone my kids that I'm fortunate enough to have one day. Wow. Perry, that's so, so, so powerful. What you've just mentioned. Um, you know, my hat goes off to you because like I say, I, I do recognize, you know, being an expert around, having studied relationships and how men's, um, um, I suppose, mindsets, behaviours and thoughts differ from women's, I know that must have been huge, huge for you to, to actually, um, you know, make those decisions and choices for yourself. 
Mm. Yeah, they were they were big decisions. I when you you know when you're living in silence, you think you, you you're the only person. Well, most people think they're the only person in the world who's gone through it, right? But they're living in silence. So if they're living in silence, then they're becoming bunk buddies with their inner demons and that internal dialogue. And your inner demons and that internal dialogue is not there to serve you, right? It's there to draw out the worst case scenarios. So if I'm living in silence, I'm like, well, if I if I tell somebody, they're gonna point fingers, they're gonna laugh, they're gonna think I'm a weirdo. They're not going to believe me. They're going to outcast me. None of them was good. Oh, they're going to welcome me. You know, they're going to allow me to find forgiveness and come to this place of self-love. None of those was ever options that came into my head. So, and I remember the first time I broke my silence was to one person. And that was to my girlfriend at the time. And I was fully preparing for her to leave me, like completely prepared for her to walk away because, the, because the, that was the external world that I was seeing. But then when she gave me this response of she was shocked and she's like, Gee, that explains a lot of things, you know, let me help you through this. Says, you know, I'm by your side. I'm your girlfriend for a reason. Then it made me realize, wow, the external world that I've been seeing was literally just a reflection of my internal world because the actual external world was very beautiful. And it's all about the, it's all about what we, it's all about the lens that we see it through. Right. Mm-hmm. And that day was when the lens changed. And then I moved on to sharing it again and again and again and again. Wow. My hat goes off, as I say, um, full respect. So, um, you know, where, what is the situation regarding your step-granddad now? You know, is, has that been formally reported or what is he deceased? What's the situation where he's concerned? He died two years after the last sexual abuse happened. So he stopped when I was about 11, 11 and a half. Well done, you know, for, for speaking out, especially being a role model for men and and for wanting to break the silence and the cycle. So for you then, um, first of all, let the audience know how old you are. I'm 26. I mean, I don't, I don't, uh, I've got a baby face. I haven't hit puberty yet. As soon as I do and I get a beard, then I can look a little bit older. (laughs) You do have a very young face, I have to say. So prior, and what age was it that you actually spoke? You know, when, when, what age was it that you broke that silence? The very first time to my girlfriend, then I was 21. So for the part you spent five years and been building up to, I suppose, being able to speak about it more and more. So can you um, share with the audience, because this is what I've done with my own story, um, how that may have negatively impacted, I'm assuming it probably has done at some point, any relationships you had, whether those were, you know, um, romantic relationships or otherwise? You know, and I'm going to take a slightly different angle of this. And it's impacted my relationships in a way where I've been in the past very much addicted to sex, right? I've, I've, I've had a, a big addiction to sex and there was never... I can explain this. There was never any um, uh, limits or barriers when it came to sexual fantasies and sexual fetishes, and that and that is and I, and I've had this conversation numerous amount of times with survivors, and it can be a lot. It's really it is really common because as ch- as survivors from childhood sexual abuse, we're introduced to sexual acts and to 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 the world of sex from a very, very early age, very early age. And sure, you got one side of the coin where that can really negatively impact somebody and they don't 
be with a partner they don't engage in anything sexual because it triggers them back to then for me i was actually the complete opposite um it didn't it didn't like harm my relationships with my with my spouse um in that way well negative yes it depends on how you want to look at it um because i was focusing too much on myself because of the addictions that i was having you know so what would when you talk about addictions what i mean don't spare your punches because i can always put an adult content related warning on on this podcast episode so i mean be as frank and as open as what you want to share but you know when you talk about um you know the how that manifested um what what did that actually physically look like for you with my first with my first relationship everything to me was about sex in that relationship and i valued that above our like above our connection above our the love languages that we were communicating above how she was feeling you know that first relationship was a very big learning curve for me and it made me like it switched how where it was all about me when it came to sex now is nothing like that you know now it's, it's not for me i get a lot of um for me it's for me personally it's about both for us of course more about the woman but, but but back then it was always about me something that i've really learned but i know that that stems from that and like another one for example a and this is like i've i've had this relationship with uh, uh, this conversation with my chari- uh, charity co-founder juliet and what we what we tend to find right is that what happened to us so for example with me my step granddad used to abuse me um a lot when people were in the room but they didn't know they didn't know what was happening. So for me, one of my um, one of my like things sexually is having sex when somebody else is in a room. Because of that, you see what I mean? Because of that, and I never actually drew any of these links until these conversations started to happen with other survivors, and especially with Juliet, because Juliet was brought up in a foster care home, and in a foster care home was actually a trafficking ring. And she would have to hold down her other, her other friends, children, whilst they were getting raped. She would be held down. They, mm-hmm. were, they were tortured. And she, like I said today, one of her sexual fetishes is, um, is to watch people have sex. And she, she loves it. And she goes, but that's because growing up as a child, that's all she'd done every day was just watch rape, watch sex. And it's the thing is either you can, you can know, right, that, that you get off on that but then shy away from it because you don't like that part of yourself or you can just accept it and then just do it in the right way, if that makes sense. You know, so lots of these things I've learned from the abuse that I've gone through when it comes to relationships and it comes to a sexual relationships too. Because I, I suppose, yeah, I can relate to that because it, it, for what you, what, how you grow up, you feel like it's normal, don't you? Because you don't know anything else until you sort of become an adult and you can realize actually, you know, what I went through wasn't normal at all, but obviously like you've explained, um, you know, certain emotions and certain feelings get triggered by the things you see and experience as a child. Mm. Yeah, 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 for sure. And and like I said, it's about, I know a lot of people, like, for example, I, uh, somebody else could come into my shoes and be like, okay, well, I know having sexual intercourse in a room with somebody else, whether they, they're pretending they're not knowing, so it's kind of like a role play, or they're just watching. I know that turns me on, but I'm not going to venture down that path or even let anybody know that that turns me on because that is admitting 
and me confronting the abuse that I went through. But I think I'm, I'm very much aware of it and accept of it because I've healed those wounds. I've found complete forgiveness and it, therefore it doesn't create this negative chain between what I'm into and, uh, but I'm into that because I grew up experiencing that, you know? Mm. So, so how did your step-granddad get uh, away with doing it while people when the, were in the room? How did that work in terms of, uh, you know, people not noticing what was going on? It, it, because it, a lot of the times I would sit on his lap, I'll sit on his lap and we would watch TV. And sometimes people just didn't see. Like when it was when it was that scenario, when I was on his lap, he would have his hand down my pants and he'd be playing with me and he might be breathing in my ear or he would just be doing something within that realm. And sometimes people just didn't see. And I think they just didn't see because he would be very sly. He wouldn't be very quick moving his hands, you know? And uh, there may be like a there may be like a blanket there or something. And that's the last thing you would expect when you're in the room. Like, you know, a family member wouldn't expect anything like that. So they wouldn't even think anything of it. But it's because the last time it happened, my stepmom was sitting directly in front of us and we had no blanket or anything. And I don't know what, I don't know what made my stepgrander think he would get away with it. But I think the temptation just grew too strong for him where the consequences or the, the, the fact that he may be caught was not even on, in, on his conscience right so mm. he just went forward and, d- and done it and my stepmom saw it like painstakingly clear what was going on wow okay so were you aware at that age that it wasn't right or did you just think it was just normal part and parcel of affection yeah the, the latter so i didn't the the extent of it was i knew it was i knew it was a bit odd that's it like you know i knew it's a bit odd because like i remember this one time my granddad was playing with me and i looked up and he just we just did a shh. He just put his finger in front of his mouth and just gave me a shush, shushing sound, but not in a creepy way. Like it was just a, come on, mate, this is our secret. No, you know, type of thing. And I thought odd, but that was the extent of it. I think the, it was just a, he's just expressing love to me in a way that another family member wasn't. And, and that's just what I lived with. So it, was it only when he was caught by your step grandma then that you realized that actually what you've been experiencing wasn't the norm well no not not even then so my stepmom caught it she took me home then she told my dad and then they stopped me going around there and then like my dad said you can't go around there anymore and it wasn't even at that point where i was like oh okay so that must have been really bad then what he was doing i was annoyed so i still didn't truly understand what was what was happening you know and and I lacked the emotional maturity to understand. It wasn't on the news. It wasn't in the papers. I didn't really know what was going on. It wasn't until the years went on. I had a school counselor, therapist, and it started to become more apparent in the news and in the media. When I was like 16, 17 years old is when I confronted that story. And then I truly understood the weight of it. Okay. And, and what, what effect and impact did that have on you? Did it, did it create any sort of anger issues or anything like that around it? I definitely had i definitely was not able to control my emotions anger wise i was never an, uh, an abusive like i've never you know been in fights or anything like that but i would lose i would lose you know i would shout you know i would lose my temper and i never knew coming from like why my dog chewing up my headphones why would that to the average person like you know they would they would lose their shit if that happened but and i did but then i remember once when i completely lost it with my dog and i was shouting like and then my dog got scared because because they're sensitive to 
because I shouted because she chewed up my AirPods. And, and then I realized in that moment, I was like, hold on a second, why am I shouting? Why am I getting so emotional about her chewing up my AirPods? Sure, but I can go and buy another one. She doesn't know. I'm to blame because I shouldn't have put the AirPods down below where she can grab it. So then I then really was trying to, you know, try to understand and gain this awareness as to why I was having those emotional outbursts. And, and I think it just, over time, it just grew and grew and grew and grew. The fact that I couldn't have this control over my emotions and it just grew. And then, uh, then there was like a dark point where I was very suicidal. I remember going out into my car garage and I remember looking up at the beams of the, um, the, uh, the garage, the wooden beams. And I, I just remember, well, I remember going out and I, but I don't remember standing there for five minutes until I realized I've been standing there for literally five minutes. Imagine myself hanging from that beam. And it was because I was in this like huge financial debt. So trying to build a business, but my ego was too high to not go and get a job. So it's just like these things over years just stacking. And because I never, my ego was too high, even at, at, like at that point to go and get a therapist, I didn't know how to handle any of this. So it did impact me a lot in a, in a big way in regards to mental health, for sure. What was the catalyst for change? I mean, um, and and why did that advice come from? Did it come from yourself or did it come from a third party? You know, who who helped you heal and get over this, in other words? It was when, it was when about a few months after my dad passed away and the uh, Mask of Masculinity by Lewis Howes, that book came out and he talked about these masks that men wear the alpha mask and the mask that you wear around women and the athlete mask. And, and it made me realize that that is exactly what I've been doing. It made me realize that that was my, what my dad was doing. And it was this realization, right. About these masks. And I'm very much a person who acts within the moment once he's realized something. So because I realized about these masks, I made a decision that day to tear down those masks. And that's when then I told my girlfriend at the time, but that's what that's, it was more of a, it just got to the, it just got to like, it just got to the end, but I just had enough of mm. living in silence. I had enough of not being able to control my emotions. I had enough of asking questions without any answers. And I just needed to go down a path that I was scared to go down. But I was like, what's the worst that can happen? Because it can't be any worse than what's going on right now. So did you um, gain uh, help through self-help vehicles or did you use a therapist? What, what, what methods did you use to, get support and help to heal this in my adult years self-help um i've just moved location i've moved to guildford now so i'm, I'm on a search for therapists because i i believe that um, every person on the planet should have a therapist you know you don't need to have problems to have a, to have a therapist nothing like that the stigma i mean that's a different conversation but i think the stigma around therapy needs to be taken away but in my adult years it was all self-help and i've had a mentor i've had a personal mentor since the age of 21 and he's like a best friend and he is a mentor. He's many steps ahead of me. So he's somebody that I, that I always go to on a daily daily basis um, if I have a question or I have a problem. But definitely definitely self-help. And, and what's really started the healing journey massively was when a friend of mine whose dad passed away said that he got through that through forgiveness. And he urged me to find forgiveness with my dad's death. So that was a path that I went on. Then once I went on that path, and then made sure to bring the act of forgiveness into the abuse and forgive my step-granddad. 
It's a big thing, isn't it? I mean, um, a lot of people think, you know, um, their automatic reaction around forgiveness is how how can you forgive that? But it's not about forgiving um, them for the, the, for their sake. It's about forgiving them for your own sake, isn't it? And not allowing them to now have any power to negatively impact your life going forward. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm a strong believer in forgiveness. I also... Uh, the 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 overriding theme in my book is forgiveness but i know there's never once in that book i say to somebody you need to find forgiveness because everybody has their own story there are everybody's at different stages in their story and all i urge is that everybody uh understands and acknowledges that forgiveness is is an option because you're right forgiveness is not about giving them a get out of jail free card it's not about letting them off the hook they're not in the picture. It's going to have to do with them. It's about you because you're too courageous, beautiful, and powerful as a human being to still be held back by the chains of the abuser. My step granddad died when I was 14 years old, and he still had a hold on me. He's six feet in the ground. How has he still got a hold on me? Sure, I can forgive myself from, from not speaking out. I can forgive myself, right? But that's great. I've forgiven myself. And then what happens when I meet a member of his family? What happens when I see a picture of him? I'm, I'm negative emotions are going to stir up inside of me because I haven't found forgiveness and, and I wasn't having that. So asking questions and gaining awareness on his story. And only then was, it was when I found out about the, the orphanage that he grew up in and about the abuse that he faced. But I never would have found that out though, if I never found forgiveness and never be able to move forward. So what for you, um, you know, just to share with the audience, you know, for any listeners that, you know, can relate to this story or similar growing up and have not actually dealt with um, the subject of forgiveness, what could you offer as a powerful exercise that they could implement to start that process? Well, starting off on forgiveness for you, the person in the mirror, right? That's where, you, that's where you're starting off. So it's about finding forgiveness towards yourself first. Now, the for me, how I w- was able to do that was about first acknowledging so here's the thing around forgiveness right there'll be certain elements of that particular story that you have not forgiven yourself for so for example i went i was abused for a year and a half i didn't speak out so that's one point in the story that i never forgave myself for so now it's about acknowledging that fact that i never spoken out right and they'd be like okay i never spoke out but why okay okay well i never spoke out because I was manipulated and groomed by somebody. He made me feel like it was okay. Okay, so I wasn't actually to blame then, right? Because I was under the spell of somebody else. Mm. So I am not to blame for that happening. So I've acknowledged it and I'm like, right, Perry, you need to forgive yourself for that, right? You need to detach yourself because Buddha once said that the root of all evil is an attachment. So detach yourself from that and then let it go. Acknowledge, what's the answer? let it go. And then I would do that constantly around every single point within my story that I never forgave myself for. And cause then here's the thing, cause then you have the awareness around everything, right? You've brought everything up into the open. You've put it out to the universe. And then if, if you are comfortable in doing so, I want to say this, if you're comfortable in doing so, well, I won't say comfortable cause you won't be comfortable doing it. But if you will at least allow yourself to give it a try, do the same thing for the abuser, right? And have every abuser has their own story. Again, it's not about letting them off the hook, right? 
For me, I knew that my stepgrand must have had a story. Nobody's born a racist. You're not born um, an alcoholic. You're not born wanting to rape kids. It's something that happens because wounds are still open and haven't healed and becomes a coping mechanism, right? It becomes a way of living, a way of life for that particular person. So they have a story. So if I can try to, you know, if you can try to somehow maybe ask questions to the right people or ask the, it depends on your story, sitting down with the abuser. Like if my stepgrand was alive today, I would have sat down with him already. I would have asked for him to tell me his story. And I probably would have, I, and I not probably, I would have. I would have put him in my book. I would have had him in Breaking the Silence book because I think it's very important for the healing process to, to see it from both sides because it does allow you to gain more clarity on what happened and be able to move forward. And, and I even got to the point where I could feel some compassion. You know, um, I know it's going to be, uh, you know, shocking to, for some people to hear that, but, you know, knowing that your perpetrator or abuser has probably a similar, probably even worse story than what you have. It doesn't condone their behavior, obviously, but, you know, at least you can probably empathize and maybe have some compassion because their only outlet for them at, at that point, you know, was to repeat that cycle, unfortunately for them, but it doesn't have to be the case for yourself, does it? No. And uh, an example to link this to is um, if we look at, and I've got many friends who's taken this path and, and it, and it's, it's the same path to take. So I've got many friends who, who have been in relationships, right? So if we take a, for example, just, um, just a complete example here. If we take a, a female male and over a period of time, the male is abusive, right? Now let's switch this. Let's switch this for, for some people who might be like, oh, why does it have to be the woman? Let's take a, a male who dates a woman and the woman is maybe uh, manipulative for, for a number amount of years, or maybe she cheats on him. He finds out three years into a relationship, right? And then they break up. Now, you what, what path is that male? What path can that male take? That, that, that man can be like, oh, you know, I can't believe she fucking treated me like that. You know, like I, to hell with her, right? Type of thing, you know. And then, and then you have the other path, which is like, listen, you've obviously got a lot of pain. You know, why you was manipulating me? You've obviously got a lot of pain. I don't know if that's mommy or daddy issues. If that, if that was because of relationships that you've experienced yourself. And whilst I don't necessarily condone how you treated me i just want to say that i forgive you and i really hope that you're you're able to heal your wounds and the next partner that you're with you can find true happiness with now what position is more powerful that's the latter right because that male because he's not he's not saying he's forgiven her but that's the same thing about the abuse you know it's the same stance that you can take within your story of abuse because the, the the first option when you're living in that world of hate screw her i hope she gets cheated on i hope somebody um, manipulates her because she done that to me but progressing in life you're not getting anywhere by coming from that standpoint right um uh, bessel van der kolk wrote a book the body keeps the score right the book the body keeps the score is a fantastic book and it's about how the trauma that we experience manifests within us and comes out in 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 our mannerisms it comes out in the way we act in life and our decisions that we make and it's the same thing there Okay then, Perry, um, thank you so much for sharing all of that and for giving your advice and tips on how we can start that forgiveness process. Perry has written his book. The uh, book is called Breaking the Silence by Perry Power. For those that would be interested in, in finding out more about Perry and reading his story in full. Uh, so thank you very much for that, Perry. Um, how can our listeners get in touch with you if they want to get in touch? Sure. Uh, so you can get in touch with me on Instagram. My handle is I am Perry Power. And then for the book, 
whoever does purchase a copy of the book on Amazon, all the profits from the book goes to our charity. So just wanted to highlight that. And what's the charity called? Our charity is called We Rescue Kids. So at the moment, we've got a campaign where you can sponsor a child. And if you sponsor a child, you're sponsoring them to get monthly therapy with a child therapist. And that's where the profits go into. Excellent. Brilliant. I really love it. And it's a lovely way to, um, to contribute back and pay it forward, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, thank you for having me on then. (laughs) You're very welcome. So listeners, uh, it just leaves me to say that uh, true love starts with opening our hearts. And until next time, goodbye for now. Thanks for listening to the Hearts Entwined podcast. You can follow Lynn via the Facebook group, Two Hearts Entwined, or search Lynn Smith, inspirational speaker at LinkedIn, or email Lynn at hearts-entwined.com That's L-Y-N at hearts-entwined.com Remember, true love starts with opening our hearts.